You're listening to episode 13 of Daughters on Fire. Today we welcome back Jody Jackson by popular demand. She's a registered nurse and the president of LifeLinks, and she returns today to talk a little bit more about COVID-19. We are now months into this pandemic, and things are happening and changing at warp speed. So she's going to share a little bit about how she sees things today, um, whether that's families dealing with a loved one in a facility or at home or bridging the gap with technology-based appointments, just the whole gamut of what the way life looks today in the middle of COVID-19 and how it might look in the future and how the horizon of caregiving is changing in this new world that we're in right now. So stay tuned as we get a lot of great information from Jody. Are you stressed, burned out, and looking for answers as you care for an aging parent? If you are, this podcast is for you. Here you will receive actionable advice from seasoned professionals, validation and compassion for the incredibly tough job you are doing, and most importantly, supportive love from a community of like-minded warriors. You're not alone. Join this powerful community as we support you on your complicated journey and help you transform into an empowered and calmer caregiver. Hello and welcome back. Today I have um, asked Jody Jackson to join us again. Jody Jackson is a registered nurse and president of LifeLinks Care Management, which is an Arosa company. And we had her on a couple of weeks ago, maybe close to about a month ago, um, at the beginning of the Corona pandemic and how it was really impacting how caregivers were taking care of their loved ones, specifically in facility settings. And so I wanted Jody to join us again today to kind of give us an industry update on where things are. We're, we're now in, we're recording at the end of April, heading into May. Um, and so I wanted to get a take from Jody about where things are as far as Caring for a loved one and those transitions, uh, if somebody needs to be at home or in a facility, what that looks like today, and also um, how this is impacting the horizon of caregiving and if there are some shifts, specifically maybe shifts in technology and shifts from people deciding when and how to do those moves or to stay stay put and stay at home. So welcome back, Jody. I'm so glad you could join me again. Thank you. You, your um, episode has been very popular. Everybody loves your expertise and insights, so I'm glad you're back. How, how have you been? How have the last few weeks and this last month been for you? Well, they've been pretty busy. We are adapting to a new normal and trying to figure out how to help clients and reach people virtually. Um, we are some of the lucky ones that are still able to go into homes if clients will allow that and use all of our protection that we need to use and keep people safe. Um, so that's What are you doing? A- like what specific measures are you taking when you go into um, So we wear masks and gloves. Um, we're t- our um, staff can take their temperature before they go in. Some of the other locations in our company um, have caregivers and so they're required to take their temperature before they go in and, um, you know, we are able to take care of COVID positive clients. And so with that, there's another layer of protection with a different kind of mask and a glove and um, a gown and any kind of protective equipment that we can get our hands on basically. 
are you all treating anybody who's um, positive, COVID-19 positive? Um, in Nashville, no. We had um, we did have a client that unfortunately passed away um, from COVID um, across the nation. Uh, I'm, I don't think we have any right now currently, but we are prepared. And do, if I'm sure this is true for LifeLinks and for any companies, what is the protocol as far as notifying other clients if you are treating like if your nurse is going in and treating somebody who is positive what are the protocols in place for alerting other people that that's happening so what we're trying to do is keep um, our caregivers to only working with that one client so that they're not going in other um, clients homes um, you know every company has their own protocol and every company is different but right now we're trying to keep our caregivers only one client one caregiver that's good. So tell me, what are you seeing in the industry specifically? Uh, how is it working with the facilities? So I think the last time we talked, um, at the time, skilled nursing facilities had, were the only ones that were really starting to clamp down on um, their regulations and, and rules for coming in and had banned basically anybody that wasn't a, a caregiver that was a necessity, like what I mean by that is a caregiver that has to come in and help with activities of daily living. No family was allowed um, and no uh, personnel like we're not considered essential for going into a facility. We're not um, maybe only hospice is allowed. Um, so now that has spread to a lot of the assisted livings to where now the assisted livings are following the same guidelines and no family is allowed. No, um, no outside medical personnel is allowed unless it's hospice and there are rules to that. And um, a lot of the assisted livings have gone to everybody in the facility has to stay in their rooms and they bring them their meals to their rooms. Um, they're not really letting them out. I know one facility here in Nashville, they let everybody come to their door and bring a table and they played bingo in the halls so that everybody was socially distanced. But that's fine. Um, yeah. Bingo's important, man. You don't want to skip out on bingo. Yeah. It's a high stakes game. That's right. There's, there's some good stuff to be won with these bingo games. <laughs> so, um, I know that a lot of facilities, they're beautiful, they're amazing, but their accommodations are smaller because the whole idea is that you move to the community and you're not going to be in your home, you know, in your, your private space for long periods of time. I'm sure now that that looks a lot different, the, these smaller spaces. How are people um, adjusting to kind of being stuck in a community that may feel a little bit confining that this is not what they were thinking when they they went to you know independent or assisted support. yeah it's a mixed bag you know there some of our clients are okay they're managing well they realize that this is an extenuating circumstance and it's a temporary circumstance and while they don't love it they're um you know, they're making the best of it. Their families come visit out the windows. Their families FaceTime and Skype with them and play music and read poems. Um, you know, leave cards, leave goodies at the door for them, anything that they can do. But we have some that 
Um, it's been quite an adjustment. We have a few clients that are in assisted livings that um, may have some mental health issues or some cognitive issues that have really struggled with with what to do. And luckily, we've been able to help bridge that gap and provide more support through phone and FaceTime and however we can get to them to to help them through the process of it. Have you recommended or is anybody you know moving their loved one back home? We have had one uh, family member that moved their loved one back home. They were in a skilled nursing facility and moved their family member back home. And it's been okay. Um, I'm surprised with skilled because that's the highest level of need. Were they, um, I mean, obviously they could still accommodate it at home. Yeah, so we've gotten home health in, and we have um, managed from afar. They're still letting our nurse come to their home, so that makes a difference in her being able to lay eyes and ears and help to coordinate with the home health. Um, we even talked about doing virtual Zoom physical therapy lessons with her, mm. and, you know, that's an option that we can do as well. So, Do they have know, caregivers or coming in, or is it just family? No, this family didn't did not want to have caregivers. They have um, enough family here in Nashville to be able to to rotate and kind of maintain, and they're all um, you know not they're all following the guidelines and being able to socially distance and being able to not go out very much. You know when the other family members are in their home, so it's worked out. But that's you know it's a case by case basis and. Across the nation, I, you know, I think that people are, are, there are people that are struggling with bringing a loved one home versus leaving them in a facility and not being able to spend time with them and see them and know what's going on. It's, it's a hard decision to make. Do you think there's going to be, because there could be like out of sight, out of mind, all of a sudden the facilities seem to really be stepping it up and they're taking care of issues that they may normally have passed back to the families to deal with because they can't deal with it. You know, they can't call in, um, you know, the daughter during a, um, if somebody's starting to get panicky and needs to be calmed down, they're literally having to deal with it there, which is in some ways great that they're really stepping up and taking care of those needs. I think that the nurses and the hands-on staff are, some of the unsung heroes we see all of the nurses and hospitals um being praised but i think that the nurses the caregivers and the staff at these long-term care facilities assisted living are really the ones on the front lines because their populations are so very vulnerable um and they they they're doing it all alone uh, without the support but with that being said I'm wondering when the doors open back up, what that's going to look like for families going in and the care that's been happening is definitely different than probably what was happening before or what the families were giving. And are they going to, is there going to be a little bit of a fallout that maybe from guilt, like, Oh, I wasn't there to make sure this was happening or frustration or what, what do you think might happen with that? So absolutely, I agree with you that the nurses and care partners, anybody that works at a long-term care facility or even assisted livings, 
um, are also on the front lines. And the ones that we've been dealing with here in Nashville are doing a fantastic job. We've been delivering chocolates and goodies and whatever we can get delivered to thank them for the work that they're doing because they are going over and above what they normally do. That being said, it's not necessarily sustainable for a long-term period because they're all um, here in Nashville that are, I mean, they're out there delivering meals to the residents, which is not something that they normally do just, you know, just to help out. And so um, I definitely commend all of them for, for working hard and, and do feel like they deserve an award for going over and above. I do feel like though that in the past we've worked as a team with, um, most of the assisted livings and skilled nursing long-term care facilities here in Nashville. And it's a little harder to work as a team when we're doing everything by phone. And so I do feel like there is going to be some changes that we see when it's all lifted and we can go in and see our family members um, and our clients. I feel like there is going to be, there is going to be a new normal, a, di a difference in what we've seen and, and been used to in the past. And hopefully, you know, care management is used so much to help, as I said earlier, bridge the gap that hopefully we can help make that team cohesive again between the families and the long-term care and, you know, us and make sure that clients are getting the best care that they possibly can have. Yeah, I think that there's going to be an interesting time where companies like LifeLinks um, and those kind of ab in between advocates are going to play a huge role in validating the families and what they've gone through and the fact that they may have wanted it, the care to be different. And then mm -hmm. also acknowledging the incredibly hard job that the staff has been doing as a surrogate family member during this time apart. But with that being said, fixing the problems that need to be fixed without hurting those two people, those two entities. Right. Because, I mean, a family member, nobody's going to love your loved one as much as you love them. They're family. But mm -hmm. these individuals, and I've worked in a facility, you do love them. You do love them and care about them and want the best for them. And you're doing the absolute best you can. And you're probably also worrying about your own family. Literally, these people can be taking care of someone's grandmother, someone's mom, and their mom may be in another state getting the same care in a facility setting. So yeah. it's not like they're without, like they're immune to the day-to-day -day struggles of what's going on with their own families. So it will be really important to nurture and to take care of those relationships. I think people who may have just been showing up because they had a job have a different attitude that they really are, like I said, the surrogates that are there to love and nurture these people. And some of these people are going to pass away before their family members can see them, are going to decline to in that amount of time when their family members can't see them. And that's going to be extremely emotional for both the caregivers, the family caregivers and the facility caregivers. Yeah. Yeah. It's a difficult situation all the way around. And like you said, we just have to make the best of it and all of us come together to do what we know how to do to try to make the best of the situation.
So um, here in Nashville, for anybody who's not listening from Nashville and who wasn't around Nashville in 2010, we had a major flood that seemed to impact every corner of this community. <laughs> and after that, uh, there were the houses and basements and streets and things that were flooded that nobody expected to be flooded. It was uh, the 100-year flood, right? And so after that, I remember I was buying a house and anybody who maybe still has bought a house will ask, okay, well, what happened in 2010? <laughs> you know, did this house flood? So you don't, you live differently because that had happened. So I tell that story because I think people will live differently because of what's happening right now. And so how many families will go into facilities and ask, what was your response during you know, the 2020 pandemic or ask themselves, do we really want to be in a facility with mom or dad? Mm -hmm. If there's a chance that that could all happen again. Now, just like 20, 2010, it was something that probably will only happen once in my life. I'm the pandemic. Hopefully we'll get to a place where this won't keep happening or won't lock down like it has. But what changes do you see with caregiving and family caregiving because this has happened. Do you see like a flood of people staying at home and not moving into facilities because of this? You know, I, I think that it's going to eventually get back to people going to facilities. I think there's so many um, different variables and the socialization is so good at facilities that that part of it once once this all, you know, kind of dies down and we get to our new normal and um, facilities figure out how to make it safe um, for families to come in and, and loved ones to be able to see their family members, I think that it'll continue as it was, but with precautions. I think there will be a lot more precautions just in our everyday life and in going to change the face of um, precautions for we've always in healthcare followed standard precautions and universal precautions but I think that we're gonna have more I can totally see that in the next few months that you might go get your haircut and your hairdresser has a mask on and so do you and there's not many people in the waiting room they're all waiting in their cars you know I, I definitely think that um, we are gonna have to be careful but at the same time I feel like the ben there's such a benefit to being in a um, facility if you need socialization, if that's the main thing, but that part will continue in the future. But how do you think socialization and facilities will look different now that, you know, in one short run and maybe even the next six months to a year, now that this is still here, it's still among us. Yeah, yeah, it is going to be difficult. Um, like I said, that there's some facilities that are getting creative and out of the box thinking about, you know, dance parties in their rooms or bingo in the hallway, socially distanced. Um, I feel like those kind of ideas are going to continue. I do feel like in the short term that people will, um, most people that have been considering moving into a facility will probably stay home. I mean, that's what we've typically seen with our clients and we've been helping to bridge that gap and get caregivers in when needed and manage the caregivers and um, 
you know, think outside the box with telehealth visits and whatever we can do to, to make it work, to keep them at home, keep them socialized, keep them safe, you know, keep, keep their brains active and get them what they need. So um, what do you, how does it look now for the at-home care? So at-home care, a lot of people across the nation are moving to either a live-in caregiver or just having solely one caregiver that doesn't work with any other clients. Um, that's how, you know, we've been um, attempting that model with, with making sure that people are safe, the caregiver is safe and the client is safe. Um, you know, that can provide, there's pros and cons to everything, but it does provide a good, a good way for somebody in the home to be social, social because they build a relationship with that person. And, you know, that way that's the only, that might be the only person that they're seeing throughout the week, but they can look forward to the same person coming to see them or the same two people if that's how it works out, you know. And you said that the use of technology is, I, I mean, one, um, for me, I, I'm a counselor and um, I would say 90% right now of my clients are online. I can meet with some in the office, um, but, you know, adhere to the staying essential and the high, high level of precautions. So, I'm online and I'm loving it more than I thought I would. And I think for some of my clients, it's been a, it's a, been a great option and maybe one that we will utilize even after, um, you know, the bans are lifted to, or bans, but stay safer at home and um, isolation and precautions because it's just so much more convenient and we're getting used to that therapeutic relationship through telehealth. So I'm sure that's happening across the board with providers. Mm -hmm. How do you see integrating that more? Because it's, it's, got, it's just a fact of the matter that when you have somebody who is frail or has dementia, that getting them out to a doctor is extremely hard. That getting them to a doctor and they show, you know, their issues and symptoms with the doctor, you know, in that 15-minute mm -hmm. visit that they were having, it's like, okay, that's a hit or miss. How is this going to um, help? I think that it would be a huge benefit to, to this industry. Yeah, I hope that some of the new legislation and temporary legislation for telehealth visits and reimbursement and all of those type things stay in place and only get better because I do feel like in certain situations, telehealth can be such a big benefit for clients that you know can't get out or like you said somebody with dementia that it's really hard to get out or um you know i even i mean i can even think about in the winter time when some of our seniors it's just it's not safe and it's not good for them to get out in the middle of the snowstorm or whatever you know i feel like there can be a big benefit to help telehealth and i hope that some of it sticks around I mean, there's nothing like a face-to-face -face visit, but if you had a choice between a telehealth visit with a physician or a practitioner and canceling the visit altogether, I would definitely go for the telehealth, and hopefully that's here to stick around a little bit more. I almost see this hybrid model of having more nurses going to homes and then communicating with the doctors through telehealth. So you have the nurse taking the vitals, taking whatever tests that you know you can do 
maybe blood draw, whatever you need to do. Because I mean, home health does that all the time, but then having a doctor to be able to assess and maybe um, prescribe, you know, without having them have to leave the house. Because I do think that there are some things you just need to see, feel, hear, touch, like in person. But usually um, a doctor working alongside a nurse, a nurse can really point all that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've done some of that. Um, We have done some telehealth visits where our nurses at LifeLinks go out and help get it all set up and then do the vitals and, and let the doctor know. I remember, so I used to work with Jody and the LifeLinks team, and I remember Debbie, Debbie Kissel, one of the nurses, she would do literally a head-to-toe, and not being a nurse, being a, a social worker, um, I, I didn't know just how involved it could be, but she would check out the feet and assess the feet, and that was a big deal, was kind of, I think she may have even referred to it as the canary in the cave, right, that... If you can see what's going on with the feet and you can check out the feet and make sure they're in good shape, then, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of the holistic approach to the whole person and whole health. And so I love that when she did that, and I love that nurses kind of pay attention to all of that. So I think, and this is, I also want to get to how you all are helping bridge the gap with technology and with the clients at home because you do have that higher level of expertise. You have the nurses that go in and you're helping pull all the pieces together. So I'm sure you are a huge blessing during this time for the families you serve. Yeah, we've had several of our clients that have had telehealth visits with their doctor, their counselors, their um, practitioners. I mean, we've, we've been doing a lot of telehealth visits where Either our care manager, our social worker, or our nurse will go out to the home and be able to help them get the telehealth visit set up. And then on a normal basis, we advocate for our clients by going to the appointments with them. So when we go, we're able to take notes, we're able to advocate for them, help talk to the doctor, help communicate with him, um, you know, help them remember what they wanted to say if they have trouble, you know, remembering what they want to say to the doctor. And so now we can do all of that via telehealth with them. It's just like being in the doctor's office with them. Do you think that model of, because I can see where there would be a downfall to help telehealth. Mm-hmm. If there wasn't a, somebody like a liaison a advocate there, a nurse or somebody there, you know, they, they can maybe not always get the technology right. They may ask and answer questions for the doctor, not giving a full picture of what's going on. Um, I, you know, I remember seeing that firsthand and I know a lot of caregivers, they'll go with their loved one to an appointment and how are you doing? The doctor will ask and mom will be like, Oh, everything's fine. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, well you fell yesterday. Do you want to bring that up (laughs) with the doctor? (laughs) You know, you, you something else happened and and today it's not bothering them but they aren't bringing it up so Mm -hmm. it almost seems like the best way to bridge this technology and is to have the the best advocate sometimes that is the family member and sometimes that is a professional Mm -hmm. yeah we um you know, uh, I agree with what you're saying. Like I said a while ago, there's nothing like a face-to-face visit with a physician or a counselor or a practitioner. But 
there are certain situations where I believe that this is going to help. And, um, you know, it's just weighing that out and figuring out is, is it better to go in or is it better to do the telehealth visit? So you say there, the best case would be to go in. Are you finding certain uh, specific areas that would, that you wish you could be going into and getting that face to face? Um, well, right now, I, you know, uh, some of our clients have had their, say, their six-month follow-ups turn into a telehealth visit, and, and that seems to be working okay. The visits that our clients, the cases that we've had in Nashville that they need something, we've still been going in, and the doctor's offices are handling it a little different, so... For instance, we had somebody that needed a, their shot for their macular degeneration and they had the client sit out in the car and they called when the client could come in and um, we could help her to the door, but then we couldn't, we weren't allowed to go in that visit and then she came back out and got in the car and we took her home. So, you know, it, it's challenging and we work on a case-by-case -case basis to try to figure out what the best option is for our clients. Yes, those shots, eye shots, would not be easily done at home. <laughs> no. <laughs> and they can't drive after they have one, so they can't right. take them. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, awesome. Can you think of anything else, like any insight that you've had um, that might be really helpful for family caregivers? I think to hang in there. Um, it's, it's really tough right now, and, you know, family caregivers are probably not getting a break. <laughs> Most of them are probably not getting any kind of break. And so to take care of, to remember to take care of yourself, I think everybody gives the example of the oxygen mask and to put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then take care of your loved one. And I think that's where we are with a lot of the caregivers. Um, LifeLinks has been doing Facebook Live presentations, and that's exactly what we're talking about this week is caregiving for the caregiver and, you know, making sure that, caregivers are taking care of their self and not getting caught up in every moment taking care of their loved one because it will wear down on them and then they won't be able to take care of their loved one. Amen to that. And that's definitely something with Daughters on Fire that we, um, we talk about quite a bit. And with my counseling clients, you know, that sometimes they just have to have a place to process and have to have somebody that's looking out for them, give them permission to prioritize their needs too. And so yeah. whether it's, you know, a really good friend or family member or a professional I obviously am a huge advocate of seeking out professional help <laughs> being in that realm. Um, but just knowing that you are not alone and that your needs matter as the caregiver um, is, it, it's, it's huge. You can't, you can't give from an empty well. You can't let the love you have for your loved one burn you like a wildfire and burn you out. You really need to sustain yourself during this time. So I think that's awesome advice, Jody. And um, so I'm glad you got to come back on today. Like I said before, uh, that we are glad you're here and your expertise has been very helpful, I think, for both these episodes. So um, to all those daughters on fire out there, don't worry. I will 
find a way to get Jody to come back and continue to give us some amazing mm -hmm. insight <laughs> along the way. And you brought something else up, and I want to tell people this, is really love on those unsung heroes out there. Um, you know, whether it's the chocolate, a Starbucks gift card for coffee, those nurses that um, – and, and CNAs and social workers and those people that are in the long-term care facilities, nursing homes, assisted livings, they really are not getting the praise that they deserve. I, I don't think people think of them when they think of these frontline heroes. And there's been a lot of stories about how um, there are people who have been dying of COVID-19 in these facilities, um, sometimes a large number. And so I think sometimes they may be people may tend to vilify them as somehow causing this pain um, to spread in these vulnerable populations. So I think, you know, as we're out there and we're saying thank you, remember to thank those frontline heroes and the caregivers that are at home now that don't have a choice. Um, the family caregivers who've decided that they, you know, they've turned the paid um, support away and they're taking on that burden. It's, it's so, so hard. I know the parents out there who have, you know, those kids running around the house and they're having to homeschool how you want to pull your hair out. Well, caregiving is like that, but probably also on steroids, how right. hard it is. And you might be dealing with both. I know Jody, you probably have families that have kids and a parent at home and they're trying to juggle all of it right now. Yes, yes. We, in fact, one of my own employees is having to juggle all of that, and it's a lot. It is a lot. I feel like the entire world is in survival mode right now, and and we do have to lift each other up and support each other and make sure that we're all taking care of each other and taking care of ourselves. And like you said, even if that means hearing from a friend, you know, you need to take four hours to go breathe or take a nap or take a bath or take a walk, you know. Yeah, it has to be done or give yourself a hug because we can't hug each other right now. I, know. I, know. I think that's one of the hardest parts is that we really cannot lean on each other except for mm -hmm. the people in your immediate household. You know, if, you know, you can't, that's been really hard for me is when I do get a chance to see my parents um, or loved ones, it's been like 10 feet away, right? There's, there's mm -hmm. no, there's no hugging. There's no, loving on them and that's really painful so not to be able yeah, to do that one of my favorite clients um we do medication box fills and i fill her medication boxes and um so she set them out on the front porch and she opened the door and she said air hugs and then shut the door and you oh. know, it's, it's tough yeah yeah so hopefully this you know the we will get some treatments and some vaccines here soon but we all will need to adapt to some degree until that happens and just keep keeping each other safe as best we can yeah all right jody thanks for coming on today and uh, we'll catch you back here sometime soon thanks for having me we hope you enjoyed today's episode and ask that you subscribe to this podcast if you find this podcast helpful please leave a review so we can reach more women like you you are not alone on your journey, and the Fire Tribe is here to support you. Check us out at DaughtersOnFire.com and our Facebook group for more support and resources. Until next time, remember, you are the fire that fuels the engine of life.